Hello there, welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. I've always been Justin, and I'm sure, still. Ah. from Skinless here! <laughs> well, wait a minute. What's going on? Tom, fix the line. Guys, I want to, you know, I've got advanced technology in my current location, and I just, like, snuck in there early. So, guys, we're going to have a good time, but it's going to be on my terms. This was a private call, man. It was a private call. I thought we were interviewing the chick from Arch Enemy. What's going on here? Guys, you, you know how this stuff works. You know, there's bits and bytes flying all over the planet these days because this is how people communicate, and I've got my ways, so we just snuck right in. Shit, we've been hacked. Is this because I used the Instagram account the other day, Justin? Is that how he did this? Yeah, you might have just, uh, I don't know, you might have made the password, uh, like, something simple or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just typed in, I typed in allegedly 666, and the motherfucker <laughs> popped right in. <laughs> yeah, we gotta change that. You've won your clever game. You've got your green shades on that we see via Skype. You've got us all here. What's the master plan? I mean, the master plan is, I, guys, I'm not gonna bullshit. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I'm very picky about podcasts because I feel like so many of them are self-serving, and every time you, you know, start to listen to one, it's just some... You know, like NPR type lady smacking her lips and she's been reading books her whole life. So she's got something, you know, not that interesting to say, but she loves the sound of her own voice. And, you know, it gets a little old after a while, but Will's just warms. I listen to you guys when I'm going to bed and, you know, I want to know where this came from. We're going to I think we're going to learn about the origins of Skinless, but I want to know about the very origin that the time was it at St. Vitus. What happened to make this podcast real? Will, go. Was it St. Vitus, wasn't it? I think so. That would be the first of us formally meeting. Yeah. No surprise there. You, anyone probably could have guessed that, but... I did. I guessed that. You did? You, yeah, that, well, that was... Uh, Tom, that was you and Will meeting, and then uh, then I came over to your house, and you were like, check out my friend Will. I met him at St. Vitus. Uh, he sings for a band you like. And we all sat around the table outside and started bullshitting. Nice. But, sound, sounds about right. It's yeah. a little, the memory's a little fuzzy to me, man. I'm, you know, but yeah. And then we talked about doing a podcast, if I'm not jumping ahead, Tom. And I ended up, I, was, I filled in for Pyrexia for a few weeks on their tour in 2018. And because I was rehearsing with them a lot and everything, that kind of like... Uh, it, it pushed the, us starting the podcast back into like 2019, right? Like, like, yeah. or like early to like after the holidays that year, I think. Yeah, we so were, at that at that point, did you guys feel like there was a hole to fill in the? Oh <laughs> 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 uh, uh, yeah, with heaviness, I get it. I, I mean, what, um, what 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 made you say yeah. you know it's time? There's there is a need. There's a hole. No, so after that roast mortem episode we did together, I was like, this has to happen. And then we talked about it for almost a year. And then we, we fired it up. Uh, actually, we were at a skinless show when we were kind of like ironing out some of the details. I don't believe that bullshit. Yeah. No. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. At uh, Brook, uh, what, what was it? Brooklyn? Is it Brooklyn Bazaar? Brooklyn that was the Bazaar. place? Oh, yeah. 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 It was a super late show. There was like two shows that night, and Skinless was playing the late show, and we got there really early. I remember we were there for like an eight-hour shift waiting to see Skinless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hanging out hanging out front with Brian Hobby. I was very stoked. But there is that, you know, I wish we were all, you know, in the loop then because we could have gone over and played a hell of a lot of pinball, which is great at yeah. Sunshine Laundromat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good place. Good joint. 
Yeah, I, I don't know, man. A lot of times when I go to shows out there, I just try to stay right where, where I'm at, just because I don't want to get lost, man. In the, uh, yeah. in, in the big, the big apple, the big, the, the big city. <laughs> I'm from Long Island, man. We walked over to St. Vitus just to kill time. Like, there's probably nothing yeah. going yeah. on. <laughs> like, let's see what happens. There was like some synth pop shit happening at at Bazaar. Yeah, I think that show started at 11. It was like church burn. Yes. Ringworm. Yes. And you guys. Good show. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. hey, yeah. it was a great show. And, you know, only in New York City will people still be doing backflips at, you know, 1.30 a.m. So. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. And they will again one day, man. <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to play a normal one next time. But hey, no problem. You know, you didn't see us bitching about climbing up the stairs, you know, loading in at 10.30 at night. We just, hey, I've got the human furnace there. I can talk to that guy all fucking day. We'll have a couple drinks. We'll play a show. It's all good. <laughs> there you go, man. So that was, uh, yeah, and that's how we started the podcast. Um, we yeah, pretty we much. saw you at the Skinless Show, and Sherwood was like, you guys have a nice rapport. You should do a podcast together. And we, we took it back to Huntington, <laughs> and, we, and here we are. It's the culmination of a dream. We finally we come full circle with you, Sherwood, man. Oh, and, this is magic. I told you. Yeah, man. So, listen, you hacked my database. Um, you hacked my Instagram live and allegedly put all sorts of controversial things in there. What else do you want to know from us? Oh, shit. You know, I know uh, you were talking to Devin on that that last podcast. And, you know, I was I was hearing the timeline, Devin from saying, 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 I, like I, I have it right here. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the band. I know a lot of people are, but I was doing the timeline. Um, you know, like, uh, let's see, it was 99 Ohio Death Fest, Progression Towards Evil. We had just released it independently, and we went out, and it was a big deal for us to play that show. And I know his dad, I know his dad was there. And how old, did you guys determine how old Devin is? Did we ask him how old he was on that podcast? I'd have to go back and check our records. Not at he's the top. A, I know where young, I can find that information. He's a younger he's guy. A younger no. man. He's in yeah, his he's a, yeah, early 20s. He's a grizzled young vet. Yep. So maybe we'll sidebar that. We'll get him on the horn at some point and uh, clear that up. But yeah, it's very plausible that he was conceived to the Progression Towards Evil album at that time. He, <laughs> he also could have been conceived through vomit to the regurgitation Ooh. demo. Right. Oh my Come god, on. good one. Brian, we can play yeah. that game. Yes. We can play that game. There you go. Living, oh, living that, the high. That, that's all from you guys for now. If I think of another uh, you know, burning question, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna shit it right out. Hey, jump in, yeah, with do it. it. Answer our questions with questions. If I may, you know, I, I know you're running the show now or whatever's going on, <laughs> but maybe I could jump in and ask you a couple of things about death metal and so on, if you don't mind out there on the range. Why not? We're here. We're here together. So, listen, Sherwood Weber, uh, vocalist of Skinless. Uh, now, you're not the original vocalist of Skinless. Um, if I got it correct, Skinless is actually the first death metal band you ever saw live. That is correct. Uh, Mike Levy was a vocalist. I think it was 1990, the end of 93, or the very beginning in 1994. Um, I was... 15 at the time and you know when you're 15 and i i of course grew up in upstate new york you're not very mobile to get to a lot of 
you know, we were way out in the country there too. So, um, you know, to go to a show, that was one of the first real shows I actually went to. And it was, it, it wasn't a real show, by the way, it was like a college campus type show with like a hippie band and then skinless played. And I was floored. I had never seen anything like it. Again, a 15 year old kid and all the lights were off. These guys were like larger than life to me at the time. Um, and yeah, first, first death metal band I ever saw and, you know, bought their demo. I think I had their demo before. Um, and I bought it from one of the guys just seeing them around. I was probably a dorky kind of annoying kid, but you know, at the time they probably appreciated it because they were trying to get the band off the ground or a band going. So, you know, I love that demo 94 so much and, you know, watch those guys play that night and i never was like oh i'm gonna be in this band but i aspired to be in a band like that since i saw them play and the fact that i ended up in skinless and you know we've had a as my friend calls it a meteoric rise to mediocrity we're uh <laughs> we're here today we're here today still making the music and uh it's been awesome so that's uh yeah first band that first death metal band i ever saw all right, uh, so let's let's back it up before that a little bit now, because I want to take it from uh, your upbringing to how you get to, to that first Skinless show at fifteen, because that's you know that's a young age to to be exposed to the band you end up being in uh, most of your life. So uh, you know the show, you know the rundown, Sherwood. Are you from a particularly musical family? I so. Yes, in in some ways, my grandfather was quite musical. Played the organ. Um, my father played drums for a kind of a short, unprofessional stint. You know, like a basement dad drummer. And when he kind of lost interest in that, I just picked up those drums and I would, you know, whack the shit out of the drums. Go upstairs and be like, "Did you hear what I was playing?" They were like, "Yeah, everybody fucking heard what you were playing." You know, there's no there's no escaping it in this house. Um, so that's where I kind of picked up the drumming aspect and, you know, I, I started playing drums and skinless. So that was, uh, yeah. So fairly musical family, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy though. You know, we weren't sitting around the, uh, mantle every night singing songs to each other. That's for sure. <laughs> so you, you met, I'm glad you brought up drums because I noticed, and a lot of people, not, but some people may not realize this, that you did play drums on uh, what was it the swollen heaps demo that was yep. the first demo you were on you kind of traded back and forth with um uh ryan wade and yep. you guys did vocal he did vocals you did vocals he did drums you did drums depending on the song absolutely and you know that was just kind of a coincidence uh i think mike levy the original voc vocalist either left the band or i don't know he had a he had a rich history as it was so he I think he went to jail. Um, and then uh, uh, Ryan, allegedly. I, yeah, allegedly. And, you know, at that time, I played in this band called Monstrous Killer Death Lizard, another uh, South Lynch Falls band. And I was playing drums for that band. And, you know, at that time, we really looked up to Skinless. You know, we were like, oh, these guys are fucking, they're a real band. And we're just kind of a basement band at this point. And I didn't know if I ever had the balls to do it, but I, you know, once I worked up a little confidence and at that point I was 16, somehow I, you know, it, it's all coming back. Noah and I started jamming together <coughs> under the name Dung in my parents' basement. And then it just 
you know, we kind of hit it off and we're, you know, uh, kind of like working on new skinless stuff. The crispy kids or crispy kids was originally a dung song and it became apparent that skinless could continue with that lineup. And we were going to put together, re put together skinless because Ryan Wade went away to college. So Ryan um, can't be, his contribution to the band can't be understated even to today. He, you know, he's been involved in our mixes um, and, you know, has always been a big part of Skinless, although he left the band for a number of times. He toured with us and did uh, some merch and, you know, really creative guy, but at that time he wasn't in the band. Fast forward to six, nine months, and he came back from college and we, we formed Skinless, the Swollen Heaps lineup and took it from there with Adam Lewis on bass, Noah on guitar, Ryan and myself switching on on and off vocals and drums. And that was a really good combination because he, he has a great death metal voice and he was a great drummer. Um, if you rewind to the demo 94, you can hear his drumming. Yes, it's not super blasting and super technical by any means, but he had real tasty tasty like fills and and everything and that thing sounded like it was recorded in a meat locker freezer and i think it was but that came across on tape and that you know that's kind of a lost art these days i know you guys talk about the lo-fi aspect versus you know super heavy uh production which is capable you know people are capable of these days but it loses a lot of soul that was not a sonically perfect recording by any means but it just captured the dirty vibe of it so we're gonna reissue that one this is not a plug for that but that's being reissued on vinyl um which i'm stoked about because i like again at that 15 year old impressionable age i wore that fucking tape out along with obituary and along with entombed and along with cannibal corpse and you know that was right in my rotation and on par in my opinion with all those bands at the time and it, you know it, we just kind of evolved from there and uh on, on that note when does bob, is it bob bulick yeah bolak when does when does he get involved <clears throat> that was a couple drummer changes later you know at that time when people i guess it's at any point in somebody's life you know there's a lot of variables to in order to keep a band together and when it's not that serious of a band yet um people kind of drift in and out or didn't work out or the chemistry wasn't right and then you take four months and don't even do anything and then you pick it back up bob played in a band called symptom hate in the upstate new york area which were awesome they were like you know again the the, the origins of like deathcore but heavy heavy on the death and they was there were breakdowns, but every band up there had a fucking breakdown, you know. And if if it were you know a, a death metal thing or a hardcore thing, <clears throat> it was a really magical era era for just really good music. I mean, huge bands at the time were just every weekend there'd be three, two or three sold out shows, and for a small area like the Albany upstate New York area, that was just a you know a phenomenon for a bunch of kids that were kind of in a post-industrial uh you know area where it was a little economically depressed and all this but what they had was fucking music right and it just was a steamroller of a scene that everybody enjoyed the metalheads you know with exceptions no doubt got along with the hardcore kids and vice versa because it was pretty tight-knit in that and the, and the music crossed over quite a bit too 
So back to Symptom Hate, I was a huge fan of their demo. And Bob, again, I, you know, it was another one of those phenomenons where I looked up to this guy as a drummer and, and just a, a dude, right? And then it's, it's kind of like history repeated from my perspective that, you know, we just got that guy because he was the man in our eyes. So that's when the band really started to get some uh, viability, you know, like to, to see the prospect of touring and see the prospect of making, uh, you know, a full album, not, not just another demo. We were like, now it's time to make Progression Towards Evil with Bob, super solid drummer, just a, a badass backbone and a heavy, heavy hitter. Yeah, it just seems like a long baking period. It's moving until it's set. That's, that was a longer thing that you just described that most bands go through. Yeah, hey, you know, that whole timeline was maybe over the course of two years. But again, there's gaps and all that. And, you know, when it's not anybody's on anybody's radar that the band's going to be any kind of priority, then you're just, you know, getting together on Tuesdays and Thursdays and drinking beer until you're like, oh, we're doing more than that. Right. <laughs> Creeps up on you. Speaking of that, then, you mentioned Progression Towards Evil, your first album, uh, Step Up Records, 1998. And the lineup that would be on that album is the lineup that's in the band today, um, with the exception of, of additional guitarist uh, Dave Matthews, who we'll get to later. Um, but that's like the classic skinless lineup. Can you talk a little bit about the push around that time? Because I remember going to Castle Heights in Queens and seeing you guys play a number of times and getting the impression that you guys were slowly steamrolling up this um, this live show and this ambition to be a live touring act. Uh, can you talk about, about how you guys kind of stepped it up around that time? Yeah, I think, you know, Bob was the the catalyst to make, make it real. And when we recorded um, Progression Towards Evil, we went into a real studio and, and we made a real record. Um, and yeah, hey, the future looked bright. You know, it's like, oh shit, we're gonna go play, you know, a metal fest. You know, we're not just gonna play in Albany or somewhere close or, you know, we started to go to, you know, other places in the Northeast, Boston, Philly. And that, that's a beautiful thing about being in a band from that area is you could do a weekend tour and cover some ground. You know, even if you're just breaking into the market or whatever, we would do Burlington, Boston, and you know a hometown show in albany on a weekend and sell a fuck ton of merch and have a great time so why wouldn't we continue to do that um but that's when it it took some um you know it, it took some we just knew it was there was something more there than just you know a casual band and we uh at that point roger you know we we weren't signed but progression towards evil was on like four or five different labels because we would whore it to anybody you know it's like we put it out on step up which was us pretty much and this dude teddy tall who ran the scene up there and then united guttural put out like some pressings and you know there were some european pressings and that that record you know for selling it out of the back of our van did really really well at the time for us um and that was kind of the key to like perpetuating it and when you had a fan base that would buy a t-shirt hey it, that's the beautiful thing about the death metal underground and underground music is their support they're just not casual listeners they're life listeners <laughs> yep yeah I, I, yeah I mean here we are talking about castle lights <laughs> yep uh, so I noticed between progression towards evil in 98 um and foreshadowing our demise comes out in 2001 on relapse 
you guys did a lot uh, between 2000 and 2001. You toured, you, you went to Japan and played Beast Fests. You played uh, Fuck the Commerce Fest in Europe, um, Fury Fest in France, 2000 uh, Milwaukee Metal Fest. Uh, was, that, was that a case of you guys going out there and getting that and doing that and Relapse noticed you because of that? Or were you working with Relapse and they provided you like those platforms? So at that point, you know, there was no sure thing with relapse at all. The the time I knew when there was going to be a sure thing was when we played the Walkie Metal Fest. I think it was 2000. I'm not I'm not sure. Probably 2000. I, and I saw you guys there in 2000 for sure, but I don't know if you would, you know, if you played the year before and after. Let's just let's just call it that. 2000 yeah i mean that was i remember the super soakers and it was yeah. nuts you guys went nuts yeah. the united okay. guttural stage yeah okay so we we were on that stage and that we may have been sandwiched between cephala carnage and deeds of flesh and all those bands that were putting out awesome records at that time and we uh you know were really hung over i remember getting up onto the stage and i remember handing out some stickers right before the set to everybody and then they looked at the sticker and then they probably looked at the schedule because it was all about time slots in those days, you know, when you were a band trying to get exposure. And I handed out a fuck, like every sticker we had. And, and then we walked up onto the stage and I saw Matt Jacobson and his girlfriend kind of front and center. There was no pit or anything. It was before, you know, there was an intro rolling or something. Bob went pop, 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 pop. And we broke into foreshadowing our demise and Matt Jacobson and his girlfriend got blown way to the back. And I was like, yes. Right then I was like, relapse. We got him. We got him fucking done. Right. And they, you know, they kind of got moshed up and, and kind of like moshed out of my periphery anyways. And then we played a really cool show. And I, that's when I was like, okay, relapse is in the bag. Let's fucking keep rolling. You know? <laughs> awesome, man. So, were you guys, um, maybe just give us an idea, because to go to Japan, to go to Europe, uh, at, you know, in those days at the level you guys were at, did you have a booking agent or a manager, or were you doing everything DIY? Uh, you know, I'll give Gordon Conrad a lot of uh, a lot of credit for that in those days, because he was kind of running day-to-day -day on Skinless at Relapse, and at that point, they had a really robust staff of you know, real fans. And, you know, I remember Gordon called me one day. He's like, uh, you know, he's, he's got this tone about him. I don't know if you guys know him. Good, great fucking guy. Right. Um, and he called me, he's like, yeah. So do you guys want to go play in Japan with Pantera and Slayer? And I'm, I'm just like, Oh my God. You know, we never had any opportunities <laughs> like that there, you know, and well, never dreamed of it. So what kind of question is that? Yeah, I know exactly, and and to ask it in such a deadpan way, um, yeah. I mean, and then we did that, and you know, there was just there was a lot of work and a lot of U.S. touring that led into that. So yeah, I mean, fuck, that what a magical time for a band that you know didn't take it too seriously three years ago. It was so, everything lined up at that point. There were bands that were our peers that were putting out great records. You know, Dying Fetus was taking total hold to fall the carnage um you know and then uh we toured with mortician in 99 that was our first that was our first uh u.s tour and they treated us so great roger's still a dear friend roger and will and at that time george torres was playing drums for mortician right 
and you guys are I'm undoubtedly familiar with George. The motherfucker hit so hard, and you know, in my opinion, you know, he was the best live mortician drummer. He was just an on-off switch and just fucking hammer those those beats yeah, and, made, yeah. and made that made that drum machine, you know, that blast that mortician with a crash cymbal. So you would just blast on a crash. And, you know, we did our first U.S. tour listening to that every night, and they were on fire. You know, they were, they were fucking great. So that, that was a pretty magical time. And for the listeners, too, George plays on your uh, 2002 Miscreant EP. True. Um, right, after, right after 9-11, Bob was, uh, they found out they were pregnant. And, you know, he's like, I got to focus on my family. We've been touring a lot. And we, you know, Bob's our best friend, you know? So we understood and we were like, okay, what are we gonna do? And we got George right after 9-11, he was sick of the city because of everything that was going down. And he moved out to upstate and was in Skinless for, uh, you know, a good good amount of time. We put out an EP and we did some touring. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just really interesting. Um, he's, you know, people associate his, he's got a very signature style to his drumming that people associate with Dehumanized. And it's interesting yeah. to hear him in different contexts with other bands. There's no uh, question, man. He, 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 was a, he was a really good fit for us as well. It was, it was awesome. I love that dude so much. Yeah, man. Yeah, shout out to him. Uh, we'd love to get him on the show one day. We got to reach out. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and uh, talking about Skinless at that era, Foreshadowing Our Demise comes out 2001, Relapse Records. Uh, you guys have already been touring, already been playing fests. Uh, does it noticeably step up at that point? And and it, and it's like, we've been working so hard here, you know, here's the next level and you guys are bumped up or like, what's the climate then after Foreshadowing Our Demise comes out? That, that another like continuation of the good times for, for sure. You know, Relapse <laughs> was behind it. Um, we were, I you know, playing probably a, just well right every time we got on stage nobody had to think about a thing nobody was looking at their fretboards i wasn't you know it was just like we were playing so much and we were we were just very tight and it was a very awesome time we were doing cool tours and we were you know kind of getting where we wanted to be yeah um and and uh you know you already kind of we kind of jumped ahead to uh, Bob, Bob Bulick, you said obviously uh, he had a, a, a to concentrate on family. He steps back. George Torres is in the band. You released a Miscreant EP, um, and then obviously uh, you uh, team up with John Longstreet on drums yep. for the uh, 2003 from Sacrifice to Survival again on Relapse. You want to talk a little bit about John Longstreet and working with him? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, at that point, George also had family obligations, you know, and wanted to get back closer to the city so he could be with his kid and his family, which is was totally understandable. And living in upstate wasn't, you know, two and a half hours and, you know, well-respected decision. And at that point, we, we needed to find a drummer. And I was like, you know, I was a big fan of John's work at origin put out you know they were on their second record with relapse and i think they were on some type of hiatus at that point and i'm like oh man you know it was kind of like my brainchild that hey if we want to take this to another level and you know we don't have a drummer right now let's and but we do have a name and some notoriety let's go get fucking john you know if, if he's sitting on the couch and wants to be in the band why don't we do that so that's what we did he moved uh, from Kansas and you know we started I think we had some songs kind of shelled out and written for, 
four from Sacrifice of Survival. And again, like the band was successful at that point. So we had a bigger budget from Relapse and, you know, we went with Neil Kernan as a producer who has produced, you know, he's got a crazy resume and got really into underground stuff. He did a lot of commercial stuff previously and then started, we were kind of in that group of first underground bands and he went on to, you know, do Cannibal Corpse and Deicide and a bunch of really good stuff. So we were like, all right, this is all gonna fucking line up. We got the badass drummer, John Longstreth. Everybody knows he can play a bazillion beats per minute and this is gonna, you know, add a new dimension to Skinless. We got Neil Kernan, who is a world-renowned producer. And, you know, this, this record's just gonna fucking steamroll all the other ones and, you know, we're gonna be on to, on, you know, just on the road. It, in my opinion, it didn't really turn out that way. It, the recording process was fucking awesome. Neil Kernan was killer. Um, you know, John played killer, did it, you know, laid down some awesome, awesome music for the band. That record for me fell flat though. After it was released, when we were kind of like, oh, we're going to bring it to the next level, pushing it too hard, I think at that point, kind of uh, stagnated the sound and, and sucked some soul out of it. And that, that is by far my least favorite record. Um, although it was a pretty good experience making it and putting it out. And I, I do like it, but at the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't fit in with the rest of the skinless catalog. Like I see all the other ones doing. And, uh, okay. Well, we appreciate you being so candid about it. And I do have a few questions about it. I'm sorry. What was the producer's name again? Neil Kernan. Yeah, Neil Kernan, you mentioned that he went on to work with Cannibal Corpse, Deicide. What were some of the more commercial acts that he had worked with previously? So he did like uh, Judas Priest Live in Japan um, and and more. I don't. It, it, it's very easy to look up. I, I know, you know, in our area, there was this band called the Clay People, which were on the verge of like a big break. And he put out a really sonically awesome record for them. So we were a friend of a friend, and then we connected on that front, and Relapse was with it. And, you know, it really wasn't an incredible amount of money at the time. And then, you know, but for us, we were like, oh my God, this guy worked with Judas Priest, and now he's going to work with us. So, you know, it was a uh, super down-to-earth guy, the nicest fucking guy ever, ever. And great, just super talented. You know, you could, you could tell by the way that guy would twiddle a knob, and he was real old school in the approach. Yeah, yeah. Check out his Wikipedia. It's very impressive with his productions. Oh, yeah. He's a badass. Great range of stuff all over the place. I think that really plays in. If there are new young bands listening or are wondering, like, how to fucking get there, it's not, you can't buy it. You know, you got to just stick with what you're good at. And that's what we learned from that record. Or I'm not going to speak for everybody. That's what I learned from that record. Stick to what you're good at, you know? And, uh, you know, at that point we, we were like, well, it's time to take the next step and diversify and do all those type of things. But in retrospect, it wasn't. I, we should have put out an, an even more dirty and grimy record. It's all a learning curve though. hundred percent, hundred percent. And one more thing about that album, uh, the cover art, Strike always struck me as uh, unique in your, your discography. Uh, it, it, remind, it, it reminds me of Lex Luthor uh, from the Superman comics. So what, what was you, the concept? 
Yeah, when you say unique, that's kind of like me when I give my dad a, a <laughs> really good craft beer and he sips it and he's like, oh, that's different. You know the fucking guy doesn't like it. You know, it's like, um, and that was another one where the, the creative process was muddled a bit because there was a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Noah was like, I kind of, I have this theory or this vision of, you know, hawks versus doves flying in and then you know there was a lot of people like feeding this dude mike sutton some ideas that i don't think he was ever into making that cover in the first place or working with a death metal band in the first place so that muddled everything and i fucking hate it i mean if that thing were erased from the face of the planet i'd be stoked but i think we have an opportunity <laughs> to avenge that because we're gonna re-release that on vinyl as well and uh, and with a kind of revised cover, meaning not that one. Cool. <laughs> All right. I'm, you know when you go, you know when you go to like get like your first tattoo, and you're like, I want like a tree, but also it's got to have like my mom's name in it. But like also like trucks are really important to me. So if it could be a tire, but then the tire is like turning into my college degree because I've done like so much work for myself. Like that's <laughs> what an artist puts out. <laughs> and and you know what you end up with? Fucking garbage. So, you know, don't don't overthink things. And that goes back. Hey, yeah. aspiring <laughs> bands, aspiring artists, stick to what you're good at. Trust yourself and don't don't look for the next thing. Just do what you do best, you know? That's that's something I would definitely tell bands is when you're getting your art made for your band, for your merch or your whatever uh, pick an artist that you like and that you trust and don't have every member of the band going back and forth with the artists like about every little detail man mm -hmm. either you know pick someone that you're going to be happy with what they make because that's got to be the most fr and every band does it at some point where you get the sketch back and everyone's like no i want a star up in the yeah. sky yeah. No, it should be a different shade of green down here no there should be a horse over there and the yeah. poor artist is just like oh man you know yes it, it yes he is Yes, yeah, he is. Just get this off. Just my take desk. it. Yeah. Just take it. <laughs> if you it, do your job as a client, say what you want, be clear yeah. about what you want, and then fucking do yeah. it. Yeah. That's like, and, uh, I used, I, 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 one of my old bands, we used to go to an hourly rehearsal studio, and the one, the one guy would always just like, give the poor guy the cashier like just his share for the three hours you know like 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 we're paying as a band for three hours of time so so this one guy from the band would figure out his like one fourth of that and just leave like a, a stack of like a five and a bunch of singles on the counter for the guy to figure out it's like <laughs> yeah. no it doesn't work yeah. like that man come on you know like it's a team effort we got to consolidate on one thing as a band for once right. you know yeah uh all right. So before I start bitching about all my bands and, all, and how much I hate every, how much I allegedly hate everyone in all my bands, fuck them. <laughs> allegedly, I'm joking. Um, I'm joking for everyone out there. Uh, you, you know, you talked about. Um, you were very candid just now about your opinion of uh, from sacrifice to survival. That also is the album uh, prior to you parting ways with Skinless. Um, yep. it, that did that play any kind of part of that? I'm guessing it did. You know, in retrospect, I had other stuff going on in life. Uh, you know, super happy-go-lucky guy at that point. You know, we were doing tours. We were in a band that fucking was rocking. Um, you know, and it's like we went on a couple tours with John, and for whatever reason, it wasn't there like it was before live, in my opinion. And I think, it, you know, it, everybody could feel it a bit. And touring, start after touring, touring quite a bit, it became 
kind of a drudgery. And then, you know, I had some life changes where I broke up with my girlfriend of like 12 years and I got a vision that I wanted to move to Colorado. And that's what I did. And I don't regret it for a minute because a lot of great things kind of followed that move and fell into place for me when I, when I just kind of followed my instincts. Right. So it was just, it was time after a long time of being in the band to do just something else. I packed up my truck. I moved. Well, you know, I, I exited what I think is gracefully. I gave everybody plenty of notice, um, you know, and, and they went about, you know, uh, finding a replacement with Jason and lo and behold, they put together a fucking one of the best records that skinless has, you know, and, and it was very successful at that point as well they did a lot of touring they were on good tours you know some sometimes the making of, or breaking of a record has so much to do with the circumstances surrounding it and they just crushed it you know so i'm su super grateful that i left when i did because i don't i i kind of lost my like machismo for the whole you know the whole thing after we put that record out i thought it was going to be such a high and it ended up being kind of a low so looking back it probably did play into my decision to move to Colorado and, you know, do other stuff for a while. Yeah, um, and getting into that, um, your, your big move to Colorado, you, you talked a little bit about that. Was your first exposure to Colorado through touring with Skinless? And when you moved out there, did you have um, kind of like a support system of contacts from the death metal scene? 100%. And, you know, Steve Goldberg's Apollo Carnage was my guy. I was tripping on mushrooms one night allegedly allegedly i might be mixing up stories but that's what happens when you when you dabble right um but i i wouldn't I told, know i wouldn't I, know. I, I just i said to steve goldberg right. we were in philadelphia i was like i'm moving to colorado in january with no intention of doing that at the time i was tripping my balls off i just said it and it happened you know like i in November, and that was probably October, where I, I just that came out of my mouth. November, I called him. I was like, "No, I'm." Remember when I said that? I meant it. And he's like, "Oh my god, you, you know, we we were all fucked up." And I was like, "Yeah, I know." So, um, in J January second, I was at his doorstep, and he took me in, and you know, we kind of like paved, paved the way and made uh, started working for a production company here, or a promoter, and you know, kind of steamrolled from there. So yeah, I, I give a lot of credit to Steve from Fall of Carnage just for being a dude. And and um, you know, you talked about working for a production company. Something you mentioned when we were talking earlier today uh, was how touring with Skinless uh, kind of led the way for you to become a concert promoter uh, yeah. or to work at work in that avenue. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I work for AEG, which is the big, you know besides live nation is the other big heavy hitter in the country and in the world as far as um you know concerts go and it's obviously a weird time we don't have to go down the covid19 rabbit hole right now but it's fucked up you know for for live concerts we all know that um <clears throat> so i i started working for an independent promoter in denver and then uh ag in 2007 came along and took over some of the clubs and i kind of came with the package and became more production specialized so i'm not a talent buyer uh i'm a production manager so at this point we run a team of 10 production managers that do ranges of shows from the bluebird theater which is a 550 cap all the way to 
you know, Red Rocks, which is a legendary, amazing venue, 9,500, to stadiums. So, you know, it's a huge operation, a huge eco- ecosystem, which, you know, there's a lot of people unemployed right now, and it's fucked up. It's, it's really, like, heartbreaking because we were on fire, especially in Colorado with the weed industry was, super, you know, super hot, and it was the right move for the economy, and, you know, it became a bigger tourist destination people love the craft beer people love the awesome pot the legality factor you know was just a a perfect storm for colorado to have amazing concerts and an amazing economy and you know the whole world's feeling kind of what's happening now yeah 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 we uh we did a few episodes um talking about how the the pandemic has affected the touring industry and the concert industry with um uh, our friend Christian McKnight with uh, Hassan from Ripping Headaches Promotions. Uh, we, we talked to uh, some of the staff at St. Vitus and um, uh, the Amityville Musical. We talked to a lot of different people. We have a few of those uh, special episodes if people miss those. Uh, and we're hoping that everybody obviously can get back to a more productive work cycle uh, soon, man. It's just tough. Yeah. Uh, yep. Um, Hey, hey, listen, there's a silver lining to it all. I think everything was bound for a bit of a reset, you know, and but now that people are kind of wading through the details of, you know, what's going on and how they're impacted, you know, everybody's got an opinion, then it gets super political. And then it's like, you know, what what guides people's paths here? And you just don't know until shit happens at this point. You got to try stuff. Yeah, I got I got or 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 let other people try stuff and see what happens, right? <laughs> I think, like you said before, going down the COVID rabbit hole might not serve the podcast best because I'm sure a lot of people have heard enough of that shit. You know? Yeah. This is their oh, of course. Absolutely. So fuck all that. Yeah, yeah. We- um, you know, you talked about uh, trample the weak, hurdle the dead with uh, Jason. Is it Jason Kaiser? Teaser? Yep. And so Jason um, Kaiser, that's Joe Kaiser's brother. Yeah, uh, so I mean, you, you bring in uh, someone that's related to a member of the band um, to fill in, and they they do a, an honorable job promoting that album, touring, recording that, and everything. Like you said, before we get into Sherwood rejoining Skinless, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about moving to Colorado. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, a band called Enemy Rain that you were involved with for their EP, uh, Means to a Dead End. That's a Colorado-based grindcore band, right? Yep, absolutely. Great band, great dudes. At the, at the time, you know, it, I, I kind of felt the itch, and those guys had a band together. I remember I was at a barbecue uh, at Carl Cumpy, who, who used to be Relapse's attorney, lived in Colorado at the time, and uh, I was at a barbecue at his house, and there were these brothers there just wailing on each other. There were, I think there were sumo suits or something, and huh. you know, the 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 dudes in that band. Uh, Chris and Nick are, you know, big guys. They're kind of a little larger than life. And, you know, I was like, I just want to be in a band with those guys. I knew they played in a band. So we just kind of like struck up a friendship at that point and, uh, you know, started bullshitting. And then, you know, we, we kind of, we didn't have a name for the, They had a band, but not a singer, that type of situation. And then we just kind of like formed Enemy Rain and, and did some touring. Uh, not in the U.S., but uh, somehow, I don't, I don't remember the details of this, but we, uh, yeah, friend, friends in a booking agency in Holland, in the Netherlands, hooked us up. Uh, I was like, hey, we want to do a European tour. And we it just landed with like a string of bolt thrower dates. So it's like, what could be fucking better than that? So we, you know, we wow. did a 
pretty unknown band with an independent released, independently released EP was doing a European tour and that was super fun. So yeah, it was good. Great time. That's that's pretty sick that you got to tour with the bolt thrower off of uh, Enemy Rain in Europe. Um, and you know that's that's around the 2008 era. Uh, you eventually part ways with them, and in 2015, uh, only the Ruthless Remain by Skinless comes out on Relapse Records. Do you want to just take us through what you might be willing to share of uh, you know what you were occupying your time with besides promoting concerts, being in Enemy Rain, and the build up to you reuniting with Skinless? Yeah, I think. Um there was an opportunity at one point, you know, it, it was a little odd at one point. Um, we, I think Noah became frustrated because he wanted to like get the band back rolling and everybody was a little herky jerky on the whole thing. I was probably busy at the time and it, it just wasn't an immediate thing. And then he posted skinless is done. And it was kind of a surprise to everybody like, whoa, you know, nobody else participated in that decision. But at the same time, we weren't really a band moving forward at that point, too. So, you know, he just was like, this is my band. I'm going to fucking kill it. So he killed it. And then I, we got an uh, offer from, Mar you know, Maryland Death Fest. Somebody canceled. And Evan called me and was like, would you guys play one more show? And I was like, yeah, why not? Because I, nobody knew we were calling it quits anyways. So playing another show for a band that hasn't in everybody else's minds called it quits <laughs> is just fine um so we did it and it was fucking great you know it's like i i i never you know if if i had participated in that decision to pull the plug on the band you know it, you never say never right you just fucking don't so don't and that's my opinion so we, we played the show it was bananas and it was <clears> great and then that i think was gonna be it um <clears throat> but then I don't know, something happened and we decided to play a hometown show that was going to be it again or whatever. I don't know. But then it was like we played and it was so fucking great and so much fun that, hey, it's not it anymore. Surprise. You know, and it's like one more match. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't you don't like to jerk people around too much with the whole, oh, that's it. And, you know, I don't like the dramatic stuff that just comes with that territory. Yeah, that, so leave that to Slayer. OK. Yeah. Well, listen, if we're going to go down one little COVID-19 ant hole again, sure. that fucking band destroyed it, right? They did it right. There, there was an end to that band coming, for sure. And, you know, with guys not wanting to do it anymore, being a grandfather and, you know, just whatever, they fucking timed it exactly right, right before this shit hit, played yeah. the best show. <laughs> they've ever played did the best tours the highest grossing tours monstrous everything and then this hits so save yeah, I, I, you save just, bless those gentlemen for nailing it thanks slayer yeah you you made me glad that i went to see that at um madison square garden when it came around a few months back man yeah I'm, framing it like that too man you're right you know they, they right. got it in you know? yep um, thank, thank god that wasn't the the plug wasn't pulled because of you know this pandemic or whatever during the middle of that tour nobody would have any closure ever everybody <laughs> had their closure because slayer's huge right slayer is yeah. every underground man woman and child's fucking bottom line you know so that's great yeah yeah i i, I got a lot of respect for slayer man uh i was glad to have seen them um 
getting getting back to skinless you know you talked about the the maryland death fest the uh the last show after the band breaks up and things like that take us through the band because the band what is it two years and then you guys get back together with the classic lineup yep the classic lineup plus dave so dave came along dave played guitar or still plays guitar in a band with noah called armor column and they're kind of more classic metal clean like thrashy vocals awesome band great guitar work and noah you know as he was playing with dave was like man this guy's a hard worker he's a great player he pushes me you know and i don't want to put words in noah's mouth but i think i'm dead on the on the money here where it it just kind of like elevated him a bit in the playing um and then you know it, it was like hey dave should be in skinless if we're and that we skip ahead to the point where uh, a different concept worked and because skinless always had just one guitarist noah the main songwriter the the main guy behind skinless for all time and then adding dave added some more riffs a little bit more you know uh a little bit more diversity without losing focus of what the band is and just you know crushing and just being a real creative guy and a good dude to be around so that that really you know pushed skinless to the next level for those the last two records yeah absolutely and, and as uh you know i just gotta say this as someone named will smith I got to shout out Dave Matthews, skinless. I'm not laughing. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not laughing. I got to shout that man out because he could easily have gone by David Matthews, but people call the man Dave in his personal life, and he doesn't feel the need to change that because of some other celebrity out there. And that's if anybody wants, you can keep it coming with the Fresh Prince jokes and the whatever, this guy looks different on TV, all that shit, man. I get in the Afterbirth reviews to this day for the new Afterbirth record. So I just got to shout out Dave Matthews for just keeping it real like that. That's what people don't call him David, they call him Dave, right? Yeah, but- There you go. You know, and I, I I can respect Will Smith, but I think from Dave's perspective, he's like, I don't even know who the fuck Dave Matthews is. I'm Dave Matthews. So. Word up. <laughs> yeah. Word up. I, I respect it, man, because people don't... The only people who call me William are like older blood relatives. You know what I mean? I'm Will to everybody, you know? So I'm not going to... You know, it is what it is, man. And people can... It's just low-hanging fruit at this point in the little death metal reviews. You know, I'm sure you guys get one every once in a while. Oh, and Dave Matthews. Oh, yeah. ho, ho, ho. Wow, you're a, you're a real journalist. Tired you know? jokes. Tired jokes. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm going off a little bit. Tom, hold me back. I think you've All been right. holding that in for a while, man. Because you, All right. you... It, it, doing the research, I saw that, and I I said this guy could easily have gone by David if he wanted to. He made you know it is what it is. He kept it real. I respect it. Um, moving forward. Oh, talking yeah. talking about that you know you did you did you kind of segued into my next question yourself with dave in the band that's the first time you said that there's ever been an additional guitarist in there how do you think that that affected the songwriting and did you guys start looking at other types of influences in the realm of metal or, or, or something with skinless in that in that respect no i think there was a un, unspoken agreement that we had to stick to the basics you know and not go too far from the format and i i had a conversation with somebody the other day about that you know back to the you know just stick to what you're good at and you know dave complimented the band and you know 
didn't come in with an ego like, oh, I've got all these, you know, tech riffs that we're going to rip in Skinless now and bring it to, you know, a whole new level. It's not like that. He honors the, the past records. We all kind of grew up in the same scene. And, you know, again, he's, he's just an, a fucking asset. The guy is super talented and makes his own guitars, which are insane. I mean, when you see him, you know, if I one day woke up and was like, oh, I'm going to whittle myself a guitar, you know? like He makes those crazy Vs that he plays? Yes, yes, absolutely. Wow, and, and he makes them for himself because he doesn't think anybody can do it better. And he's oh, fucking shit. right. And so he, he's he's a pretty deep dude in his skill set and his work yeah, ethic. Talk to him. Right? He, he's a really hard worker and he lives a little closer to Bob. So he and Bob get together, you know, they put in the bonus episode of skinless practice, you know, every, <laughs> every week. And, you know, it, it's I, wish that, I wish that was a real show. I wish that was a real <laughs> the, YouTube show. The bonus, <laughs> bonus episode. episode. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he just, Bob likes to jam. They, they live close. It's easy for Dave to pop over and run through some songs. And then when everybody else gets there, it's that much tighter and that much like more automatic. So there, there's all yeah. kinds of cool stuff that happens there with Dave. Awesome, man. Um, and uh, you know with with that you know the, the the only the ruthless remain comes out bob bulick you mentioned you know he uh, he has family obligations you, you at that point are living in colorado people are spread out i imagine the other guys have different family things going on or different career things going on uh what do you guys manage to do in terms of touring and festivals and how does the dynamic change uh so you know, we also have uh, more of a spoken agreement that, listen, we're all, we all have those family obligations and aren't 21 anymore. So we all agreed that, hey, if it doesn't work for one, it doesn't work for any of us. So we turned down a lot of stuff. You know, it's like festival offers and, hey, do you guys want to do three weeks in Europe? It's just not in the cards. So, you know, every couple of years, we try to make a good trip to Europe and do two or three shows. And that's, you know, that's what we're good for at this point. You know, I've got a 10 year old, a five year old and a newborn. Noah's got a baby on the way. Joe's got two kids. Bob's got a kid. Dave's got a kid. So listen, you know, family first, right? And the fact that we can do it and do it at a high level still is a bonus for us all. We're just the most gracious fucking dad band on the planet to go <laughs> you know, just crush beers and go absolutely berserk and have great shows and then come home and you know get back to business. Awesome. That's I mean I, I that's kind of what I figured, man. That's the vibe. Uh, and you know, getting into that, 2018, you guys put out Savagery, the latest skinless album on Relapse Records. I guess the only you know you guys really don't. Uh, you don't ever go back to the drawing board. You don't. You, I, mean, I mean, well, you, you kind of stay at the drawing board. What I'm saying is, like, you guys don't ever reinvent the wheel with Skinless. Uh, and maybe that's something that that you you kind of want to stick to because of what you talked about with uh, from uh, Sacrifice to Survival. You want to you want to kind of keep it real now or whatever. What what is the process going into writing Savagery? You've already come back and and written the comeback album. Only the Ruthless Remain. Like like what is the uh, the inspiration now after all these years um, to write Savagery? And what keeps it like the, the you're living in different states. What keeps it going? What keeps it burning? 
Well, you know, I think we had a really good time with the, the, uh, uh, what's that record called? What's the one before it? Uh, only the Ruthless Remain? Only the Ruthless Remain. We had a good time with that record, recording it, and then, uh, you know, doing the amount of shows that we could do. A trip to Europe, uh, some U.S. shows, a festival here and there, maybe three nights in a row. Um, and we're like, this fucking works, right? We're having fun. There's no stress. Nobody, you know, is counting on merch sales to pay their mortgage. And we fit it in when we can fit it in. So that set us up to do Savagery, which I think is a, you know, a, a great fucking record. And it just, you know, hits hard and it's very skinless. And, you know, we just found it and why there's no reason to stray from that. You know, no, nobody's coming out from left field with some crazy, again, another like weird <laughs> tech there. We're not, we're just not into that. You know, we're, we're just going to do what we're going to do. And, and that's good enough. And we're going to do it well, and we're going to kick ass and we're going to have fun. And that, that's the mantra of the band. It sounds live too. Like, like if you've seen skinless live, it's savagery sound. It, it sounds like a live record. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, and it has, it's got that old school quality, but it's also got that energy that you guys bring uh, to it live. And, you know, that kind of brings us up to date. You guys are still active as much as you can be. Um, I imagine, like you said, uh, with, you know, with the whole pandemic going on, like, did you, were you guys working on new material? Were there plans for a new album? Uh, you know, what, anything up there just to bring us up to date? Yeah, absolutely. There's, uh, we have a song floating around now and a bunch of parts floating around now. And again, uh, you know, we expect Noah to kind of go into hibernation with the baby due in June, you know? And so it's like, we'll, we'll keep, you know, tossing ideas around with no pressure on anybody to get anything, you know, back to the table or whatever. It'll just happen as it happens. But, you know, we, we plan to just continue as we are and put out another record and, and, you know, do some awesome shows. We'd like to, you know, like get to some other parts of the world or, you know, uh, play some other parts, even the U S that we, you got to kind of hopscotch these things when we have limited time. So that's, that's the goal is to just, cover as much ground as we can and have a fucking blast doing it yeah uh awesome man and you know we're glad you're still you're still uh, out there doing it and on that note you know this is normally the time where we would wind down and ask you to recommend some music but there's a couple of things that we talked about prior to this that i wanted to uh flow past you and one of them is um Skinless is originally from Glen Falls and ends up in Troy. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, yeah, th there's not a huge mm -hmm. geographic difference there. I guess it's whatever somebody typed into Wikipedia that day, or you know, whatever. <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> we've always been yeah. from that same upstate New York area, and that's what we call it. You know, it's like um, yeah. But, you know, we've always felt a kinship with the New York death metal scene because we are New York death metal, and uh, you know, it's like. It's so funny to see people around the world with a New York death metal pad, like a German dude who lives in Dusseldorf. You know, I'm a, I'm a NYDM man, and I'm like, great, you know, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. So, but, you know, that's uh, did Will Romer invent that? My my take on it, the whole thing is, people used to say NYDM just meaning like New York death metal. You know, the way they would say New York hardcore. 
but then there you know the org there's an organization nybm what i'm getting at when people say new york death metal a lot of times they, they think internal bleeding suffocation skinless and and mortician are all from the same neighborhood you know like we're all taking the subway together back and forth to manhattan and getting pizza together like john travolta or something you know like be, like i'm talking about elsewhere outside of new york you know but you have long island death metal which by the way we have a whole kind of like late 90s long island death metal bonus thing going on that's coming out soon but long island death metal suffocation internal bleeding pyrexia and so on then you have yonkers mortician emulation and so on and then upstate like explain geographically how far you guys are from the tri from from the uh the five boroughs in long island and maybe some of the history around your area for death metal no absolutely that that there's such new york is such a uh oddly shaped state where immediately when you say i'm from upstate new york people say oh buffalo you're from fucking buffalo and it's like wow you couldn't be farther from buffalo and you know it's like that is farther away than new york city is from us you know but as the crow flies you know we could get to the city in two and a half hours where buffalo i think you know is like three and a half or whatever four don't know but yeah it's it's very interesting you know that geography aspect to it all where it is so close but it is also so far away and in our microcosm up there in upstate new york again jumping back to what a fervent scene it was but it was a smaller community with very talented bands and people starting bands all the time and and you know there was such a high point of that scene where suffocation was embraced and internal bleeding was like when they hit up there it was such like a this was before like real you know death core when when that like slam hit the hardcore kids they fucking lost their minds i mean it was like you know when frank reaney bridged that gap for those kids live at that era of internal bleeding and Chris Perbellis looked like just some fucking giant on that stage, you know, just stomping around, you know, that stuff like that bridged the gap between so many, uh, different types of people. Straight edge kids were into it just from the sheer violence of the music, you know, and it was about the music and, you know, in the pit and what moved people then it wasn't about your fucking politics or your, you know, you're drinking a beer out in front of the show or I saw you smoking a joint. I'm gonna sign, like, shine a laser pointer in your eye, which happened to me a number of times. But you know, it's like there was no, there was all the justice in the pit because that's what people gravitated towards the like just brutality of it. So you know, that's why death metal was so embraced up there because it was such a hard hardcore scene, not a fruity hardcore scene. It was a hard, tough guy, fucking, you know blood teeth scene and that's why fans like internal bleeding just jumped in there and tore shit up got over yeah um and now what about i want to throw some names past you and talk about whether they were uh maybe or whether you're playing shows with them upstate because these are bands that i know weren't from the the downstate area the, the you know the five boroughs long island uh yonkers um what about the guys from withered earth and uh disgorged or was that further north so withered earth were from rochester and in the early days we didn't have a lot of 
communication, whatever, back and forth with them. Malamore, we did, and they were from uh, more of the western ah. part. Yeah, uh, more of the western part I, of the state. Just, just to flex, we- I did have Malamore on my list. Malamore is yeah. right there on the list, just for the listeners. All right. Um, but I, and listen, Will, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass, but Afterbirth was another big one. So. Uh, perpetual degradation. I, I wasn't in Afterbirth back then. I know, then, so. I know, I know, <laughs> but you all are now, and I'm plugging the fucking band. Um, mm-hmm. they, so their demo, what was it? Uh, Embryotomy, psychopathic Psy- embryotomy? Psychopathic sanguisuga, but no, psychopathic <laughs> embryotomy. Embryotomy, that's it. What if, I mean, that blew everybody, because that, that style didn't exist. You know, that was kind of like, oh my God, the guy's fucking burping, dude. And uh, you know, <laughs> I, we saw them at the QE2, I think, with internal bleeding. Um, and, and, you know, that was awesome. But there, there was such a, a crossover with scattered remnants up there. And mm-hmm. the, the New England Exhumed, who Matt Bashan from Shadows Fall was in, and Phil Labonte from uh, whatever, I'm, I'm not a fan, so I, don't, I can't even mention his name or the band's name. Um, whatever band, big band he's in now, he used to be in uh, Perpetual Doom, and it was awesome. So there was a demo trading scene on a small level between all those little areas. You know, procreating mass, mass carnage, or, uh, Scattered Remnants was our Bible. You know, that came out before we uh, put out Swollen Heats, and we just fucking worshipped it. And I know you got, had those guys on. And that's kind of my intro to the whole podcast. Your your show is that man. That was something I had been waiting to hear. Even though I know those guys, it's not like we talk on the daily, and I can't call, you know, Jay up and be like, "Tell me about you know 1992 and and the little things that were happening with scattered remnants at the time." So I was just fascinated by the, that, that. That's why we of, do this. That that type yeah. of detailed storytelling about those eras that <clears> you thought you'd never visit again you know yeah and and you know that those demos meant so much to us and 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 one that people should go back and listen to is the new england exhumed demo it was called forgotten misery and that that thing was awesome super low-fi production but the it was just it was it was awesome you know great it wasn't like brutal brutal death metal it just had really cool drumming and and a lot of good stuff going on yeah, man, I, I got to check that out for myself, too. Man, I'm not going to flex in front like I own it or something. I don't I got to do that's something I got to do my homework on um, to be square with the listeners. <clears throat> but yeah, and the listeners can always go back to our scattered remnants, uh, uh, triple uh, triple homicide episode. We, we interviewed all three of the original OG members uh, that are still with the band. And they talked a lot about, you know, Exhumed and some of the other bands from that. And, and that brings me to. Uh, this uh, northeastern death metal, which is, I, I think, a term that the guys from from uh, uh, Vomit Forth use, a younger yeah. band that styles themselves after some of the stuff you're talking about. And I always I make the point that a lot of that upstate New York death metal, uh, it has to it has a lot to do with that so-called northeastern style. When I talk about like disgorged slashed withered earth. Uh, who shared, you know, two bands that shared a lot of members. Um, and also Skinless, I mean, you kind of just said it, because I was going to ask how big a role did Scattered Remnants play in Skinless, and you already answered the question, man. You stole my segue and gave it back to me, polished oh. up. Sorry, I appreciate it, you know? But 
Because um, when you listen happens. to Skinlets, you definitely have scattered some scattered remnants influences, I feel like. A hundred percent. And, you know, full disclosure, on most of the records, when I'm going for that high thing, I'm trying to channel Jay fucking Hendershaw. You know, <laughs> like, his... that Those screams and those low vocals are, to me, you know, very underrated band, but are the absolute height of death metal vocal performance it's fucking unreal mm-hmm. yeah uh you're right man iconic you know i mean it's the type of thing where i heard it so early on scattered remnants and afterbirth were like my two big introductions to death metal thanks to my buddy adam rotella when i was like 15 or 16 and it's like it's made me a bit of an elitist because it's like how can i top you know some of the first things i ever heard um like that but uh, get you know, just getting back to what we were talking about with the whole upstate uh, um, New York thing. Um, uh, you mentioned Malamore. Uh, what what are some other bands from your area, upstate New York, that you feel are like under underrated and and should get a little, get a little more hindsight uh, history? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we were we were friends with you know, some of the bands that did break out of that area. And again, it was kind of a small scene where it was a little self-defeating, as you guys know from, you know, any little small scene, everybody's like kind of a big fish in a small pond. One King Down were one of those bands that just, you know, had had their moment and did some touring and, and were very popular in the straight edge scene um, and crossed over with metalheads. You know, there was good riffage there and it was good fucking hardcore and people always went berserk for it. Um, Burning Human from up there is another one that is extremely underrated. They put out, you know, a demo that everybody had and everybody just lost their minds when that band played. They And then, you know, they did get some justice when they put out uh, their full-length record, James Murphy produced it. But that is kind of what, when I think of Deathcore, that is what comes to my mind. That's my frame of reference for it. Not so much chugga chugga, not so much technicality. You know, these things evolve and become so complex. And then the categories that you have to deal with. But if you want some meat and potatoes, this is death and this is fucking core. That, you know, Burning Human was that band. And everybody should check that shit out. It's amazing. Looking at produced by James Murphy, you said. You got to look into that. They're they're full length when it came out. you guys will love it. I mean, that that is some, like, well-played, not hyper-blasty. It's kind of like, it'll keep your head going the whole time. That, that's, a, that's a good segue right there, because something I did want to talk about is you talked about the late 90s, the big run uh, up to foreshadowing our demise. Uh, we've talked about many times on the podcast before how in the late 90s, brutal death metal kind of um, becomes more popular and evolves because death metal itself takes a back seat to like black metal and things that were more popular in the late 90s. And after a while, you have things like Dying Fetus uh, crossing over with Hatebreed fans. And, uh, and you know, we've talked about a lot of I feel like Skinless was also yeah. on that wave and you were playing a lot of those shows crossing over with bigger hardcore bands, right? Absolutely. Jamie has always been a fan and a, a friend. And, you know, we did a bunch of shows with Hatebreed. Um, and that, that was a good, perfect crossover because those kids, you know, at that time, Hatebreed had put out uh, Satisfaction is the Death of No, what's the one at Perseverance, right? And that blew up. And that's mm-hmm. when we did a bunch of touring. So they had a, a 
you know, just a brand new audience. And I'm not talking about the old school cats and getting into, you know, I, I want to flex a little bit, you know, like I was there before anybody, but just, you know, they had a whole new audience that was good for us. You know, we got in front of it and they probably like the 15 year old kid that saw skinless for the first time when I did, that was a lot of people's impression then too. And Hey, it did good things for us. It, it exposed that more underground CD underbelly to what was becoming a little more viable you know yeah yeah a hundred percent man and uh did did you notice anything every stories about the uh the metalheads and the hardcore scene clashing um i know in long island there are certain you know stories people will tell you about big fights breaking out things like that because it didn't all congeal into one big scene like overnight yeah that oh that's for sure i mean there was always static there but that was uh that was part of the fun listen you know everybody's like oh no violence stop the fights and it was just a melee up there i mean when shows happened it was fucking knockdown drag out and i loved it you know <laughs> listen it's it's a little sick and a little weird because everybody wants to be so nice to everybody but goddamn, i miss that edge you know i miss the the absolute lawlessness of those pits there were no bouncers you know and everybody was their own self-policer even if that meant they were totally fucking wrong and wailing on the wrong person it happens you know and it was just like you miss those days a little <laughs> it, 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 it definitely is a little different nowadays not having as much of an edge to it you know right. like like so like so many other things in life and so many mm -hmm. other subcultures you know you write about that 100 percent um and uh well talking about live something i did want to ask you uh you know like we talked about again with the build-up to foreshadowing uh you're you're more confident and more confident as a front man you were never too shy to begin with on stage i wanted to go through a couple of for the lack of a better term since we're all pro wrestling fans gimmicks uh things that were used to enchant the, the live arena you know for skinless um and, uh, and just kind of like reminiscent, Tom and Tom and Justin. If I don't, if I miss one that you guys remember, please jump in. Um, but just for starters, the first one that I remember, and as as I've talked about it for years, I've probably brought it up on the podcast. I tell everyone about it. One of my fondest memories as a teenager going to my first death metal shows is you playing live with a skinless with the gas mask on, with the microphone tucked into the mouthpiece. So your arms are free to move around doing the vocals. Can you talk about that, the inception of that, and what the experience was like actually doing that and having that on your face from a, for a few songs? Yeah, that I think came from there was a gas mask laying around at practice. Don't know why. And there was also a microphone. And next thing you know, just like whatever, things happened. It got shoved in the gas mask, drinking beers. Yeah. On the face. Oh, that makes a crazy sound. Just do that. So... That became kind of a thematic thing for uh for skinless you know the gas mask and the you know we've been writing about this pandemic shit forever and now here it is so <laughs> i gotta say reviewing the, the skinless catalog and looking at all the album covers and everything man i it's it's weird you guys and uh if you remember nasum from sweden yeah. like the okay. you know the, the inhale exhale it's, it's yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you you got you got us there, man. You definitely have been writing about this for a long time, man. And this and the gas mask thing, you did it live after that, but it went on to become a thematic thing with Skinless. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, I think Jason used it. Uh, you know, <clears throat> it, it kind of carried through. 
and that's what I appreciate, really appreciated about Jason and when he came in and, you know, did the job that at that time I wasn't wanting to do. Like he took it to another level too. And he took the extremity, you know, kind of those asinine things we used to do that were, you know, there wasn't much pre meditation to any of that stuff. It just kind of happened by being in the moment. You know, the wrestling matches on stage and the bringing people up and Joe Pyle driving them. He took a, that that type of antic to another level and still does with Origin, you know. So it's like there was there was a little boiling of we created something that wasn't really present at the time. You know, people started Black Dahlia Murder, started having fun with metal. But, you know, prior, we only knew the incantation the incantations yeah. of the world who were on stage and they look like under the lights just like scary trees you know and it was real serious and i don't know it was or big. or internal bleeding and pyrexia we're gonna beat you up if you didn't beat each other up <laughs> yeah no, exactly yeah. you know and so that was kind of our take it's like hey we're just here to fucking let her loose you know and that's where yeah. a lot of that shit came from and and uh, the the super soakers obviously bringing big super soakers on stage at a hot metal fest. I mean, it writes itself. It's the type of thing you probably see more like hip hop and dance, you know, MTV or something. But you guys did an underground death fest. Did you ever get any um, problems with that with the clubs or anything like that? You know? Ooh, yeah. I mean, here and there we would, <laughs> we would you know over the years we kind of pushed ourselves, like especially Joe and I, who are you know physical like i wouldn't ever attempt to like pile drive noah because like things don't go well like that with him but joe and i could riff and like bring on a full pro wrestling persona to the stage beat each other you know beat other people and and all those things uh so yeah i mean it was just kind of natural you know sometimes you had problems with the clubs oh, with yeah, uh, yeah. security so, or somebody I, you know, things getting broken the super soakers i think at that point um we always had beer in them so you know nobody knew that but it was yeah um <clears throat> you know we'd break tables and then have some, you know the club manager come up and you know at that at that time i it, it's so funny because i'm i'm the i've become the the uh, police of that type of behavior being a production manager i'm like the boss and when the band's breaking our shit i'm off their ass you know and, and saying the same thing to them that this dude i remember in houston said to me you know 20 years ago when we broke every fucking table there joe powerbombed me through every table we broke them all and he's like you guys are paying for these tables and we're like no it's part of the show you know all cocky about it like <laughs> you know, I, I, I remember, you know, and they were the cool club's tables yeah. They were the club's tables that was that were out the day oh, when oh, you walked in the club that day they were out. A hundred percent, but we felt for whatever reason we were entitled to them. And you know, that guy got <laughs> I wish I could see him today. And there was a lot of that where yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we were pretty reckless and we would fuck shit up and our crowd became awesome, you know, and fucking shit up. So there was stuff, you know, and, and uh you know, I remember, I, I, I wish I could go back and apologize to that guy and a number of people over the years for being such an asshole, you know, but it was, it was youth, a lot of beer, and being pumped, you know, so it was like, you know, you got to live the dream at some point, and that was the point to, to do it. 
Hey, be, being from upstate and uh, and the band coming from Glen Falls, Troy, and, and whatever, uh, you ever have any run-ins with Hacksaw Jim Duggan? So, Hacksaw Jim Duggan is from Glen Falls, New York, and right. ne- never, because I think, you know, he is from there, but, like, you know, I don't see the Ultimate Warrior in parts unknown when I'm there, you know? You know, <laughs> I think he probably moved to... <laughs> I think he Hacksaw probably moved to wherever he moved. We'll have to do a little digging on that one too. But no. Oh, he's still upstate. He's still upstate. Is he really? Yeah. I, uh, I think last uh, last show I went to at Poughkeepsie uh, Mid Civic Center, uh, joined up there. Uh, he was he was hawking t-shirts uh, and and some eight by tens. Oh, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, he's the, he's the best guy. So I'm just wondering if he ever, you know, fucking made it around. Ne- never had the pleasure, but you know, we we always reference that, you know, him being from Glens Falls, New York, and uh, yeah. us, you know. Right on, Justin. Uh, Justin yeah. grabbed the segue, switched the spark plugs, and changed the oil on it. And took us right into pro wrestling. I love Uh-oh. it. Yeah. Sherwood, you're familiar with the podcast. You know, we take it there, man. Let's talk about it. What is your history with professional wrestling? Um, are you from a professional wrestling uh, family? Yeah, so you're from a particularly kayfabe family. Uh, quite the opposite, actually. My my old man uh, is uh, quite a opinionated guy with not Great a question. whole lot of a room for any bullshit besides hard work and good ethics, right? And I immediately was driven to the opposite of all that: pro wrestling and death metal, right? which he totally didn't get. So, uh, you know, on Saturday mornings, there was no gathering around the TV to watch, uh, you know, WWF superstars. It was, you know, we're going to work. So I think that was probably what drove me a little bit more towards it is like, oh man, I'm done working. I got, you know, I need an escape. And I I used to love wrestling and watching it. going over to friends' houses for pay-per-views and shit like that. That that just didn't happen in my house. But it probably drove me closer because I couldn't get enough. And, you know, at that point, uh, everybody grew up a little bit, and I've got a big collection of the 7-inch LJN wrestling figures. Now, I, I have everybody except for Haku and the Warlord, which are like four. Four hundred bucks, five hundred. Yeah, bucks. no, you can't. You can't find either of those. Uh, and I have on the everybody. Uh, yes, yeah, dude. And I just can't bring my. I'm probably a couple drinks away from doing that one night on eBay, being like, just <laughs> you know, fuck it. Oh god, I'm just doing it. You know, I got to complete the collection. Yeah, hundred percent that. I'm so, I'm that way with uh, the the first cadaver from Norway, their first album on vinyl. Yeah. If you got like a swift five hundred dollars, you could buy it on on uh, Discogs. You know, if, if you're if you're drunk one night. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's like I, I picked up some of those from my friends when they were over that stuff and growing up a little bit. I bought them for like a dollar a piece and um, and burnt most of them, burnt and shot most of them. I don't know why. Because if you lit one of those on fire, it, that could solve, you know, not good for the environment, but that burnt for like four days, right? <laughs> because it was just pure rubber. Pure petroleum, those goddamn things. I also burnt most of my action figures, so I know that feeling. They used to call those things dog, like dog toys, too, because so many of them hit the just a, a horrible fate. And if you go on eBay yes. to try to buy one, yeah, you can buy the Sheik for like a dollar fifty, but his, his leg is gone. You know. Yeah. So I'm more a fan of these Hasbro ones, like you know this Razor. Yeah, Razor. Or, the, or that warrior that lifted his arms up. 
is up there as well. I see a shirt. I see your shirt, by the way, you know. Love the Warrior, man. I mean, what an inspiration. If you go back and, and watch his, his, like, promo videos are fantastic. And the montages of those are great. But he also has a number of quotes. And if there is one thing that anybody's going to take away, I want you to go back and dig in to those Warrior quotes. Because they're so fucking chaotic but so on you can see the you can see the beauty in it like a lot of people will be like oh what a fucking dumbass but if you like really look through and really pick out the point it's amazing it's just <clears throat> incredible stuff he's the most creative inspirational speaker that has ever lived absolutely in my opinion and that's in his best light Part of the fascination, even farther into life, I'm more fascinated with it now um, just because of the life they led, like s- such a hard existence and yeah, just rough, you know, a lot of drug use, a lot of boozing, a lot of partying and just getting destroyed every night and without a safety net to any of this shit. You know, it's like back then it was, you know it's just hard on on a person and when you keep going it's incredible the fucking you know they're all dead which is sad as hell and a lot of them met like really rough demises except flair oh man still kicking um let me just let me just bring up a little side story right now uh i don't know if you've seen uh wwe network put out the the first part of this five-part like series on undertaker uh i did and i I listened to an episode, I think a couple ago, that you, mm. somebody had mentioned the Undertaker match at this year's WrestleMania, and that the boneyard, the boneyard match, boneyard match, and I think you enjoyed it, and I had quite the opposite experience. Dude, I think that that's his best match in in five, six, seven years. His best fucking match. I, I got into some beers and some heavy alcohol content beers during WrestleMania because I'm like, I'm not going to let this pandemic get me down. I'm going to watch WrestleMania. Hell yeah. And I really did expect a match. I didn't know what was going on. And then when, you know, the, the scripted match and the, the pre-recorded one came on, I lost my mind. I started smashing beer bottles. The kids are coming out because I'm watching on the back porch. Oh, no alone and they're like what's wrong i was like no this is yeah it, it was me what this is this yeah this is not 50 some odd near 60 year old taker just breathing heavy for 30 minutes this is some actual entertainment right now no come on <laughs> this is it was the watch it watch, watch it again with uh and 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 let yourself absorb into it because it's, it's absolutely brilliant and they just fired they just fired two of the four guys that were in that match too which is bullshit. Oh boy. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that 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 Taker Doc though is uh, you know he was one of the like you were saying those 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 guys back in the day putting it, like living that that life you know all out there like going out injured all this kind of stuff and you never hear from this guy from Mark Calloway. So it's a very interesting kind of take on it. I was I watched the first episode last night. It was, it was emotional. Well, I also dig the Broken Skull sessions. You know, with Stone Cold cold and the one with mark calloway is is great and it's two guys shooting the shit you know it's a little cheese ball but it's fucking great you know because they did it right they those guys lived it they they can be as you know whatever they want to be i appreciate that type of show i'm with you man yeah i mean i i I don't want to i don't want to sit here i don't want (laughs) to i don't want to like crash your guys party well, I'm, I'm like I'm an 
I'm just like a nostalgic wrestling fan. I can't picture trying to watch the WrestleMania this year or any of these these things they're coming up with now uh, with no crowds. I mean, doesn't it just kill the atmosphere entirely? Yeah. I mean, it does, but it's like, well, here we go. I'm gonna I'm gonna flex on you a little bit and teach you. <laughs> Ooh, it's it's like going to a strip club, right? And being like, I don't like the tattoo on that that entertainer's back. You know, it looks a little weird. You got to find the beauty in this stuff. You can be critical all the time, but unless you can see through, like those great Ultimate Warrior quotes, like that poor production old demo from 1990, where the kick drums sound like a cat is lapping up milk, you know? You gotta see the beauty, dude. There you fucking go. That's what's up right there. Yep. I would I would allegedly spend my money on that stripper with the, the tattoo you're talking about before I would pay for that pay per view <laughs> that we're talking about. Well, allegedly, it, it, allegedly. It just, to me, it just says you have room for improvement. Yeah, I mean, look, I just have a hard time following any modern wrestling product. I'm a, I'm a nostalgic fan. And I've made so much room to, to, because of this podcast. I've made so much room in my heart for modern death metal. Yeah. And okay. I, I don't have because doing this podcast, I don't have the heart to be an elitist metalhead anymore. I have to keep an open mind. I have to try to include the newer generation, and and, and I do find a lot of like really good music in mm. some of these newer waves that some of my friends from my generation are cynical on behind the scenes. Yeah. And um, and you can't be like that. But pro wrestling for me is my pure escape, where I can be a hundred percent elitist. Uh, which brings me to my next question: well, Are dude, you uh, a Jim, are you a Jim Cornette guy? Oh God! <laughs> Am I a Jim Cornette guy? Yeah, man. You know, Jim Cornette's the man, dude. He tells it like it is, bro. Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, we're he tells it like he he yeah like he can say it. It's yeah, man. The guy. The, 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 the guy, question wasn't to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's cool. Listen, I'm I'm a big fan of the history, and I'm as as much as I'm busting your balls, Will. I'm with you. That that WrestleMania was fucking painful, and a lot of the shit that goes on these days in the WWE, which I don't want to call it that. I am a fan of the WWF. That's that's what. And I'm that's saying. why I'm gonna probably no. hammer and order Haku, who is not fucking that great, and the Warlord. You know, and, and, but instead they didn't make demolition acts. They made Smash, or is it the other way around? How the fuck do you produce LJN toys and do one member of a tag team? Well, LJN is uh, notoriously one of the worst production companies out there. If really, really quick tangent. Uh, if you look at their video game releases, they are some of the worst on the face of the planet, and it's all syndicated stuff from cartoons and whatnot. All of them, like, you know, one out of ten. And it, it might have been because Demolition Smash was actually being the Repo Man at the time. It, uh, it's very yeah, possible. It's all but, about licensing. But, but there's one company that has never changed their name, and they won't let you down, and it's my favorite company. It's called New Japan Pro Wrestling, yeah. uh, and the history is just as rich, and the... The, the competition is, is there, and, and listen, Japanese people are so quiet when they're watching pro wrestling that it probably wouldn't make a difference if there wasn't a crowd, and that's how I like to watch yeah, it. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember, you know, uh, I think it was our second tour of Japan, and there was definitely a language barrier because we're, we're on tour with Nile and Nagelfar, and we went in thinking we're just going to... 
we're, we're just gonna we're just gonna pull the skinless gag like we're in fuck at home right and invited this you know somebody whoever was a taker on stage to have joe powerbomb him and it went so poorly like this kid first of all like at that time you know there was no crossover between the crowd and the band so he was out of his element he was like a fucking fish out of water when we got him on the stage didn't know how to sell the move joe tried to pile drive this kid and it was just like the worst thing he, he wouldn't let it happen you know and uh yeah. <laughs> These things happen. Just though. like Antonio Inoki, man, he's gonna no sell it for the Americans. I'm I'm gonna get I'm gonna dive into that. I haven't yet, um, but it's New Japan Pro Wrestling, right? Yeah, New Japan Pro Wrestling. I I'd start I'd start more recent and then work your way backwards. Like watch watch Kenny Omega's 2016 G1 run. Okay, and how do you watch it? So they have a streaming service just like uh, the network. It's called New Japan World. Um, you just go to newjapanworld.com. Not a sponsor, uh, but they should be. I got to say, uh, I watched on YouTube the other day for for $0 for free. <laughs> I watched the first, first ever WCW Clash of the Champions. Yeah. Uh, it, it was some pretty amazing um, uh, old school Southpaw wrestling, I believe, as they call it, man. Yeah, I, I, was, uh, I was starstruck. Yeah. Jim Cornette cleaning house, uh, really amazing to watch. The the beautiful thing about pro wrestling is when you get the full scope of all the territories across the world, and you and you notice the different styles, and you get to compare and contrast and see the blends. It's like it's music, man. It's just like music. Hey, there's so many par- parallels to the death metal underground, right? Where you get these flavors from this yep. place and that place, and then the mixing of them, and yep. you know there there are so many parallels. It's a hard life. Uh, it's a mixed bag. <clears throat> Absolutely. You can see, uh, you know, Chris Jericho in the early 90s in WCW has this Japanese flair, but also this, like, lucha flair, but also this, like, weird European from just wrestling in, in Germany in the same venue over and over and over again for months and months and months. And and, and then the Amer- the Canadian style that he's got, it all kind of blends in, man. It's these different riffs, like, that, that they're playing. You know, that, that's, what, that's what draws me to it. That's... That's what I love about it. That's that's how I try and, you know, evangelize pro wrestling to all my friends. Absolutely. He does do that. <laughs> I I got to say, yeah, I mean, Justin is more, Justin is as passionate about pro wrestling as I am about elite death metal from yeah, Slovakia it's... from the late 80s and shit. <laughs> like, like weird shit. That, you know what I mean? Dude, I got to... I'm about to do a vinyl episode where I'm just gonna flex on everybody with weird shit that I just bought, man. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I think we I think we got enough material. We could probably do like a little bonus pro wrestling episode or something, man. So Sherwood, uh, you know, we talked a lot, man. We appreciate your time, uh, and you've listened to the podcast before. I think you know where we're going, man. We got to wrap this thing up eventually. And before we do that, we always talk recommendations for the listeners. Uh, and since you're the guests. Um, uh, you know, we we corresponded before this, and we all checked out each other's recommendations. And sincere the guest, you get the old one and the new one, and then Tom, Justin, and I are each going to recommend one album. So we're going to let yeah. you go first. Why don't we let Sherwood open it up and then close it out with his two recommendations? Sound good, Tom? Sure, works for me. Sound like good, that. Justin? Yeah, I like that. No, sound good. All right, you guys are good. It's a democracy out here. Uh, let's do this. So, so Sherwood, why don't you give us your old recommendation first? Yeah, my, my old one, and 
listen for a, a life or <clears throat> death metal motherfucker you know it's really hard to pick that but one that i always go to which is obscure which shouldn't be so obscure and it really makes me wonder if michael who plays in volbeat is the main man behind Volby has intentionally really buried Dominus because of he, you know, wants Volby to be known as Volby and not have that history. And I, you know, we promote shows and I was a production manager on a Volby show. And I asked him, uh, you know, I was more <clears throat> busting his balls. Dude, <clears throat> play something off due to the dim Dominus. What an incredibly dirty death metal record that is with heavy tones primal primal everything odd production that wouldn't work on something else but has a bass that sounds like bass tone that sounds like a garbage truck just drove through your house you know i fucking love view to the dim and the the subsequent records weren't that good in my opinion and it evolved into volby who i'm a very tertiary fan of some of their their stuff volby tolerance yeah Dominus View to the Dim is just so fucking sick. And, you know, it's it's obscure. It's hard to find. So I think people, you know, that haven't found it or didn't have it in their collection should go back and dig that one up because it's heavy as fuck. Yeah, I, I can attest to that as being mm-hmm. one of those um, new listeners. When you sent me that text with that, uh, I checked it out. I was a little bit taken back in a way because of how raw it is and like the production is weird, like you mentioned, and the songs are like, they're groovy, but death metal. Like it's not trying to be groove metal, I guess, or s- some shit like that. And then going on the metal and finding out it's Volbeat, I'm like, well, we're all we're all human, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like, that album truly was great, man. I, I second that recommendation. One of those uh, unsung early 90s death metal records by a band that became something totally different. Yeah. Uh, really, really wild. I mean, I was very Im- I was impressed and surprised with that, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was very cool. Uh, I gave it a quick listen through and um, and, and loved what I heard. And I, I can't wait to dive a little more deeper into it, get a little more, um, a, a, a bit of a more f- you know formed opinion about it. But uh, first impression was amazing. Killer vocals. Yeah. yeah, just deep and awesome and, you know, raw as fuck. <laughs> Alright, so I'm bringing in an old one tonight. Uh, I'm bringing in Inhumes In For The Kill. Mm. Alright, strong. Came out 2003 on Osmos Productions. Um, Inhume is a band from the Netherlands with ties to all kinds of cool bands like Severe Torture, one of my favorites, Bile, uh, The Shed, remember that you brought that album in? That was, that was great. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, great, just beating grindcore stuff. But this this is the type of grindcore that is extremely hi-fi. The wisping ends of wires blowing through your eardrums as the blast beat's happening. This album is 10 all the way through. I love grindcore bands that are on 10 all the time. I love bands like The Kill. I love King Parrot, shit like that. They're just mm-hmm. 
they don't stop often, and when they do stop, they bring it back even heavier than before. And I think this is a great album that really shows off like how you can keep someone's attention by keeping it at a hundred percent all the time. Which kind of goes against yeah. what I was saying about Karma Cipher on the last episode, but uh, it's all yeah. good. Just a different approach, and uh, and I yeah. think. Yeah. Diving so heavily into Karma Cipher <clears throat> and then this, it's like a just good listening experience. Yeah, and, and here I'm a crazy brutal grindcore band, man. I, I remember them um, from like the early 2000s. And uh, what what year was this release? 2003. That's 03. Yeah. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, right there. Yeah, dude. Also, you mentioned Bile, The Shed. Just a lot of really cool grindcore history in the Netherlands. Uh, maybe some we should explore more on the podcast, man. But yeah, and Hume definitely an awesome example of that. Yeah, for sure. Just a half hour of just relentless bullshit. It's, it's awesome. It's like, yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you don't jump into an ex- extreme metal band like that for uh, for breaks. You know, nah. you, want, you want it. Yes, exactly. Oh, I like that the, the, they have the uh, two vocalist approach in this band because I think it just helps. The layering and the um, uh, yeah. the relentless sonic nature of it. So that's that's pretty cool too. I, I I like that. I don't. They're still a band now. They only have one vocalist, but um, either way, this album is just stellar. So check it out. In for the kill by Inhume. Yes. All right, so uh, so I got a, a brand new recommendation this week. Um, this this is uh, the, the band Manic. Their first demo slash EP, Mangled. Uh, this band is out of, out of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, like I said, this is their first release. Super intense, gore-focused death grind. Um, and I'm going to say computer-assisted because this it sounds like a drum machine on here. Uh, but so well done, such a, an angry, aggressive, clear, um, yet yet or yet true, you know, sort of production around here. Um, I'll, I would I would liken this for fans of agoraphobic nosebleed for sure. Uh, but the, what I like most about this this band is this like '90s style grind riffing that they got going on. You know what I mean? Um, it's got this punky napalm at its best kind of vibe happening um and you know they'll break into like into little like you know punk sort of uh sort of two-step kind of shit you know what i mean but in a in a in a true way i feel uh the the, the guys in this band have definitely have the right set of uh right mindset you know going into this uh there is not a ton of information of this band out there um i don't know who's in it how many fucking people all, all we have is the music going on. This is uh, a really quick, uh, s- just under seven minute uh, demo. Uh, angry shit, aggressive shit, uh, and it ends with this like weird, uh, heavy programming, industrial sort of vibe, uh, with New Jack talking about the mass transit incident under it, and followed by some crazy grind breakdown going on. So, 
Got to respect that. Uh, looks like some masked vigilante, you know, choking somebody out on the album cover. Uh, pro I was going to say, style. there's definitely a, a wrestling theme. I, I knew you would love that, man. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah what, so... better. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not the biggest on, on the, the, the gore aspect normally, but when it's done well, it's hard to ignore. Um, I'm, I'm a music first kind of guy, so if, if the riffs are there, the drums there, the vocals are there, they put yeah they put in that work you know. No, I said when it's a work. Oh, you, when you it's don't a like work. The, you don't like the you don't like the gore when it's a shoot. You like the gore when it's a work. Yeah, I'll, I'll co-sign that. Yeah. <laughs> so check it out, uh, manic mangled. Good shit. Okay, uh, today I'm talking about um, something new by a pretty old school band. I'm talking about Pertinence from Finland. Uh, they put out like a couple of cult releases, their EP in 91, Crown Waits the Immortal, and then their album Member of Immortal Damnation in 1992, uh, kind of like this cult underground status because they're, they're an old school Finnish band. Uh, they're more underrated and obscure than Demolik and uh, Dramalik and Demigod and, and all those guys. Um, and they came back in 2009. Uh, all those years later and they came back hard because since then they put out two eps two full-length albums and just a few days ago uh extreme music put out on youtube a video for their song deathbed confession which is going to be on their upcoming album uh buried incarnation on extreme music like like i said their fourth full-length album so this is a band that i feel in this age where all these old school bands are coming back um, and and uh, the OSDM thing is big and people are rediscovering that old school Finnish sound. Pertinence has been here. They came back in 09 and they've been putting out new material. Uh, the guy, their discography, their whole catalog is something that people should really go back and check out if you want some raw old school Finnish death metal. They don't indulge in the atmosphere as much as some bands. They, they stay true to this crunchy kind of like almost like a, a bolt thrower type of um, aesthetic. Uh, uh, in terms of, I feel like the songwriting, and they're they're just a pure, brutal band with just enough touch of melody, and it's a cold, like very metallic melody. Man, you just gotta check out Pertinence, and their new single, Deathbed Confession, is a good place to start. As as good a place as any, man. Um, really sick band, and like I said, if you want to go back and check out their material from '91 and '92, they do have that kind of like cult pedigree uh, since they came back with, with like new blood in the band. Pertinence. Absolutely. And guys, I apologize, but I've hijacked the show and I'm going to hijack this a bit and I'm going to throw <laughs> two in 
but I'll keep them short. Oh, oh boy. Why? No respect. No respect for our time. No respect for our format. This guy. <laughs> One is Desecracy, uh, the Doom Skeptron. They're a two-piece. It's heavy as hell, and uh, some of their other records don't hit the mark like this one does. Desecracy. Uh, I'm sorry, the Doom Skeptron is just it. It really hits hard. It's you could tell uh, there weren't too many cooks in the kitchen, right? They, it's two guys, and they laid it down really in tune. I think on a uh, previous episode, you guys talked about that dynamic where, you know, a two-piece grindcore band or, you know, again, you're not watering it down. These are, are raw ideas that are pretty much put down. Uh, that record just screams of that. anything uh from the dragged into sunlight catalog <clears throat> and those yeah, guys dude. are oh. just unfucking believable sonically right and i know they have like i i know they have like some serious record label problems and then this you know i'm i'm in touch with one of the dudes and i'm i'm a big fan uh so they put out terminal aggressor 2 which is a follow-up to Terminal Aggressor 1, mm-hmm. of course. But Wait for what, it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, these guys, these guys don't follow any any type of formula. Um, you can tell their intentions are pure to make the sickest, uh, mm-hmm. kind of most depraved music that they can make. One of the most intense live bands I've ever seen. We've all yep. seen a ton of bands live, and you get your jollies from one thing or another about a band. This band, uh, you know, without the pretension, they, they, they're they not super intentionally anonymous, but they don't make it a point to, like, you know, get down in the front row and, put, you know, wag their tongue at the, at the audience. You know, they're purely there to put on a show with their music. And, again, I've seen them three or four times, which is pretty impressive because they That's don't amazing. tour <laughs> that much. But yeah. right place, right time. Uh, and just blown away. I mean, and you could put some headphones on and and really dig into the nuance of their records, which is so deep, so deep. And again, when it's coupled with the punishing live performance, you can tell that's a band that cares about what the fuck they're doing, mm-hmm. but also just doesn't give a fuck at the same time. They're gonna, they're just gonna uh, channel some real hatred. And they're they're really nice guys, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. I'm I'm a real fan of Dragon and Sunlight. I think it's probably one of the scariest bands to come out in the past uh, ten years. Uh, like sonically. Uh, one of the most just disturbingly like like for uh, imagery creation with, with the, the sound that they put out. Um, terrifying. Uh, it, they do such a goddamn good job. Uh, yeah, huge fan. Uh, I I would love to. I, I haven't got a chance to see them, man, but I would, I would 
next time they come around if, if we can ever go to shows again. Yeah, I'm there. Yeah, one thing that's interesting about them is I was listening to Terminal Aggressor 2 today, the most recent release, and I wasn't really into the intro. It's, yeah. it's very long, um, 15 minutes of droning and kind of experimental stuff, but when it kicks in, the mix is fantastic. I have never heard a band pull off the low end the way they do. Hell yeah, it, dude. It, there's something yep. that carries through where there is there's distortion in the bass, but there's also a clarity in this range that totally gets dropped uh, on a lot of releases that sound kind of like this, and it makes it sound so mm-hmm. full. Yeah, I'm sorry. It might be like, I don't know, it might be controversial. People don't like this band. There's all this thing about it. But I think this is like what, what that band Nails tries to do with low end, dragged to the sunlight, blows them out of the fucking water, like take notes do that shit um no you know no disrespect yeah listen i've I've, i could be accused of kind of wanting to skip to jump to the point but if you're in the in the right frame of mind uh you know for those intros they're also you got to be ready you know and you got to be open and ready to kind of soak the whole thing and have the time and focus to do it take Um, the journey that, that that's the case with a lot of stuff right um except you're get to the point grindcore i will always forgive an intro like that i i, I respect a vision when yep. they have a complete thing like that but at the same time i don't get into this allegedly shit at all i don't smoke weed enough to sit back and just listen <laughs> to a droning intro it doesn't happen yep. for me so it's all right to eat their own it's not a formal complaint it's just this is something to be aware about going into it I have never really listened to a whole lot of this band. I, I don't know what, um, it's something I got to check out, I guess. Yeah, get into hatred for mankind. Yeah, I mean, that that's where you start. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you want to get right into it and know what it's about without a, uh, so they, they utilize samples really well, too. Some good Charles Manson shit, um, just some obscure God knows where it came from, like real evil, dark ser- serial killer monologue type shit uh they they employ that very well in the music hatred for mankind is the place to go Mm -hmm. and then you know once you get high enough you can get into everything else and know (laughs) and have that point of reference yeah you're right that point of reference is kind of important for the rest of the shit they put out yeah good point Okay, so Sherwood Weber, man, we appreciate you hanging out with us as long as you did, uh, telling us the skinless story and a couple other stories in addition to that. Um, uh, you did take over and kind of bust in through the front door or the back door, whatever you call it on the digital realm nowadays, but I'm going to forgive you that because you were a great guest and you brought some solid recommendations my way. Uh, now, closing, man, uh, parting is such sweet sorrow. What do you got to say to skinless fans and to listeners of our podcast? What do I say? I'm yeah, say it. Get them on the phone, allegedly. Segway. Uh, uh. <laughs>
I don't want to stop. I love you guys, man. I really respect <laughs> the show. I, I really do. I mean, yeah, maybe it, it was right place, right time. I think Will and I talked about this when you guys took a pee, but, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of time and a lot of people don't, but it, you know, I started to get into this podcast with a little more time and, Again, I, I don't know if we hit on this before. I think a lot of podcasts are annoying. People are so self-serving on these things and just love the sound of their own voice. And there's no real content. And, you know, you guys balance the deep dive of the content with some good humor and some just lightheartedness, right? So the balance is there. And I just so appreciate it, dudes. So appreciate it. Hell yeah, we appreciate that, man. That's that's great to hear. Dude, yeah. I appreciate having a guest that knows knows the show as well as you do. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate your time, man, and we appreciate you keeping everything a hundred percent real with us, man. It was awesome talking to you, brother. Thank you, man, and and I'm sure our listeners appreciate your time too, man. Absolutely, fellas, love you. Talk I got wait. I got I got a question though, Sherwood. Do you know where uh, our, our listeners, listeners could like, like? I don't know. Get some sticker, sticker packs, packs or anything like that. that? Sticker packs, shit. Uh, go to our Instagram, which uh, and All right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll send you a sticker pack. Right, so oh, no, no sticker packs for our podcast. Oh, where where do you get those? I want to get one. What a great question. So, uh, you know, listeners, and sure, we can go to heavyholepodcast.com uh, slash shop. You can get those sticker packs. Type in the promo code Chunky Riffs. Get that free shipping. I'm gonna ship it to you for free. I got all the money. It's no problem. <laughs> Here it is. You give me your money, I send it to you for the a little bit less. Heavyholepodcast.com. Yeah. What do you think? Chunky riffs. Chunky riffs is the promo code. Skinless has chunky riffs, and it's all good, right? It's all good. What 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 speed are you driving there on the Skype as you as you're cruising down the road, man? It better be one mile an hour. No, we got we're doing a good 45 on this rural road there's nobody to run into the only thing i'm looking out for is wildlife oh yeah yeah because uh the you know the the most amount of wildlife you want to hit is like less than one hallelujah wildlife uh, story this dude pulled in to work one day with blood all down the side of his car and shit right and i'm like what happened and he's like i hit a deer and it, you know the fucking thing flew into the ditch and i was like did you kill it he's like i hope i killed it look at my car and yeah it was great i mean pure carnage on the car by the way just guts eyeballs hanging off the antenna and shit.